Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we look at spiritual abuse. At what point is a difference in opinion or a disagreement with the pastor real abuse? It's a question lots of churches, pastors, and church members are having to grapple with. Also, we look at an online ministry that started as a hobby, but is now generating more than 150 million page views a year from people wanting answers to tough spiritual questions. We begin today with news about a Tennessee megachurch that has defaulted on its building payments. The building that housed Venue Church is set to be auctioned off from the steps of the local courthouse on August the 24th, just six months after a video surfaced allegedly showing its head pastor kissing a woman who was not his wife. A notice of foreclosure that appeared in the Chattanooga Times Free Press said Venue Church uh, had defaulted on payments on the more than $2 million that the church owed on its property on Lee Highway, a prominent road in Chattanooga, where its main campus is. The notice says Venue bought the property from Hal Properties, a Tennessee limited liability company, on September 10th, 2019. Yeah, so they've been in the property for less than three years. Uh, the church began to crumble after a video surfaced in 2021, allegedly showing head pastor Tavner Smith kissing a staff member while he was still in the process of divorcing his now former wife, Danielle. We reported on that episode when it happened because it made, unfortunately, national news then as well. Smith announced in January of this year that he would be taking a month-long sabbatical to get counseling, and to spend some time with God, he said. But eight church employees quit after confronting Smith about the video, and more staff members and volunteers have resigned since then. Then other former employees began to come forward, sharing different concerns, other concerns about Smith and the way he ran the church. When Smith returned to the pulpit in February, he apologized to his congregation for having an inappropriate relationship and admitted that he had, quote, caused devastation, can't take back. Yeah, but apparently that wasn't enough, and there's just been a steady drain of members and money from the church. Now, just to back up a little bit, Smith moved to Chattanooga about 10 years ago in 2012, and he started Venue Church in his home. He had previously been the executive student pastor at Redemption World Outreach Center in Greenville, South Carolina, another controversial church, by the way, that we've reported on here at Ministry Watch in the past. In 2015, Venue was cited as one of the fastest-growing churches in the the country by both Outreach Magazine and Lifeway Research. But now the church uh, seems to be headed for uh, yet more hard times, though Smith is still listed as the lead pastor on the church's website. Next, we have a strange story of two mothers who have filed a lawsuit against a Tuscaloosa, Alabama church and an off-duty sheriff's deputy who is acting as a chaperone after their teenage sons were falsely accused of sexual battery and left in a Florida jail while on a church trip. Yeah, according to the suit, the boys were traveling with a Taylorsville Baptist Church 
group when they were arrested by officials in Bay County, Florida, after Keith Fair, who was one of the chaperones and an off-duty deputy, determined that they had been inappropriately touching other minor children while they were playing in the water. Now, Paul Peterson is a lawyer for Taylorsville Baptist Church, said that church representatives who were made aware of the behavior immediately concluded that it did not warrant law enforcement investigation. But uh, Keith Fair still alerted the Bay County Sheriff's Department, and that resulted in sexual battery charges being filed against the teens, though those charges were later dismissed. The lawsuit, which accuses the church and Keith Fair of malicious prosecution, slander, negligence, and assault and battery claims the teens were left in police custody in Florida while the rest of the group returned to Tuscaloosa and that their parents were not contacted. Peterson, though, the attorney for the church, said that church officials did in fact contact the parents as soon as the teens were taken into custody and requested that the parents come down to Florida immediately. Uh, According to the attorney, Peterson, uh, he said in a statement, these children were not abandoned by church officials at any time. No court date has yet been set for this unusual case. Warren, let's look at one more story before our break. Our reporter, Kim Roberts, took a close look at the Pregnancy Resource Center movement. What did she find? Well, what she found is that while there has been a prevailing narrative since the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision back in June that pro-lifers don't care about women, the facts that she uncovered tell a very different story. For more than 50 years, even before the original Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, Christians have been serving women in unexpected or crisis pregnancies. According to Heartbeat International President Jorel Godsey, the Pregnancy Help Center movement began in the late 1960s. The oldest center in the United States can probably be traced to one in California that began in 1969 or 1970. The Charlotte Lozier Institute, a pro-life think tank, recently did a study of service providers. What did they find? Well, it defined a Better Women's Service Provider, uh, that's the term that they used, as an organization that provides services to women that do not include abortion, and compared those institutions to Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider. And it found that there are over 8,000 better women service providers, including some that are federally funded, federally qualified health centers, and private pregnancy help centers. And that compares to less than 600 Planned Parenthood facilities, in other words, a 14 to 1 ratio. Harpy International makes a similar comparison. Yeah, it compares private pregnancy help centers, in other words, looking at both CareNet, Heartbeat International, and those that are independent, and found that there were about 2,800, 2,825 in total, and about 700 total abortion clinics, about 600 from Planned Parenthood and about 100 or 125 others. That's a ratio of about four to one. Godsey, um, Jorel Godsey with Heartbeat International, expects that ratio to rise even more as abortion clinics close in some states that now outlaw or severely limit abortions, such as Texas. A recent analysis by the Charlotte Lozier Institute showed that from 
2016 to 2020, more than 800,000 babies' lives were saved through the work and services provided by pregnancy care centers. And I should also add, Natasha, that the budget of the average pregnancy resource center is less than $400,000, about $385,000 to be precise. But in the aggregate, these PRCs raise and spend more than a billion dollars a year helping mothers, fathers, and babies. Warren, we need to take a break here. When we return, when does a disagreement in a church become spiritual abuse? We'll take a closer look at this question. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, we spent time this week on the Ministry Watch site looking at the issue of spiritual abuse. At what point does normal conflict, disagreement that are bound to rise in any organization, when does that rise to the level of spiritual abuse? Well, it's an interesting question, and it's an issue that's become important because there have been clear examples of spiritual abuse in the church in recent years. We've reported on many of them here at Ministry Watch, but we've also seen situations, I should confess and admit in a spirit of full disclosure, uh, where there's just been merely disagreements in the direction of the church. Maybe someone got their feelings hurt. A leader made a decision that a member didn't agree with, and suddenly accusations of spiritual abuse and toxic leadership are filling the air, and sometimes social media as well. Now, Bob Smetanya is a religion news service reporter and a regular Ministry Watch contributor. You often hear his name in the credits at the end of our weekly podcast. So he took a deep dive into this issue, and I think he came back to the surface with some interesting insights. Well, of course, we're going to recommend to our listeners that they go and read that whole article. But what are a few of those insights? Well, for one thing, he clearly defines spiritual abuse, which I think is helpful. He says that spiritual abuse involves the misuse of spiritual authority, and uh, it goes beyond run-of-the-mill church conflict. It's an attempt to harm or deceive. Uh, it's also usually uh, is accompanied by a lack of transparency, uh, the suggestion that the person in authority is not subject to the same rules, procedures, or processes as the rest of the congregation. That's when spiritual abuse may be present. Anything else? 
Well, yeah, I would say that the most that most spiritual abuse is actually hiding in plain sight. And what I mean by that is that in an organization, including a church that doesn't have an independent board of directors or an independent deacon or elder board, that's a danger sign that can be pretty plainly seen by all. If the organization doesn't already have a problem, you can bet that it soon will. And by the way, and at the risk of shameless self-promotion here, Natasha, I'd like to suggest that um, a lot of our listeners might be interested in a free booklet that we produce called 75 Red Flags to Consider Before Donating to a Christian Ministry. It's a great tool for helping an organization eliminate any elements of a culture that might lead to problems, including spiritual abuse problems in the future. And by the way, as I said, it is completely free. Just go to ministrywatch.com and use the search engine, type in 75 Red Flags to find the document. Our next story highlights a ministry that takes advantage of the fact that today billions of people turn first to the internet when they have questions about faith. Yeah, they do. In fact, I sometimes call that the Dr. Google phenomenon. You consult Dr. Google before you consult a real doctor whenever you've got a health problem. And, you know, that happens a lot when people have spiritual questions as well or spiritual problems. And uh, when ministries went online in the early 2000s, there was a Dallas Theological Seminary graduate named Shay Haldeman who thought that he would launch a digital outreach to maybe help some of those people that were using the internet internet to ask questions. So in 2002, he formed a ministry called gotquestions.org to answer people's questions about the Bible. Now, he planned to run this site as a hobby while he was looking maybe for a pastoral job until God called him to this as his real ministry. That was 20 years ago, and today, 13 million online visitors a month go to gotquestions.org, and it has about 700,000 theological questions. $1.6 million ministry uh, budget generates uh, articles in 185 different languages, and it uh, has featured apps, a YouTube channel, and about 275,000 subscribers, as well as a podcast, so it's really grown. So what sort of questions does the site answer? Well, virtually every kind of question you can imagine. I mean, 700,000 questions doesn't leave many out at this point. Um, so, But a few examples. Can Christians lose their salvation? Do animals go to heaven? Uh, what does the Bible teach about women pastors, homosexuality, tattoos, masturbation, interracial marriage, and white supremacy? A whole range of questions. These sounds like a fantastic resource, but these questions are some which Christians disagree. So how did they arrive at the answers they want to present to their readers? Well, that's a good question. And they say that they want their questions to be thoroughly biblical so that if they get into arenas that, you know, maybe the Bible is not clear on or they're just not sure about, sometimes they will present both sides, but they don't ever present positions that are not, that don't have some biblical basis. In fact, their mission statement is pretty clear. It says this, we are Christian, Protestant, evangelical, 
theologically conservative, and non-denominational. We view ourselves as a parachurch ministry coming alongside the church to help people find answers to their spiritually related questions. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the ministry does about a million and a half dollars a year in revenue. That's not quite large enough to give it a spot on the Ministry Watch 1000 database, but we thought that this was a ministry worth profiling, and you can read more by going to Steve Raby's profile, which is on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. Or let's look at one more story before our next break, and it's an update on the bizarre story of a pastor who was robbed of a million dollars in jewelry. Yeah, we first reported on this uh, maybe a week or two ago. It's kind of a strange story. The pastor was in church. Robbers came into uh, his church in Brooklyn, uh, one of the boroughs of New York, and uh, robbed Bishop Lamar Miller Whitehead of about a million dollars in jewelry. Uh, it was a heist, that, by the way, that was, that was recorded because the church service was being live-streamed at the time. Now comes news that one of the parishioners in that, in that church, or former parishioners, at this point has filed a lawsuit against the pastor, and that, that lawsuit actually was filed originally last year, and it claimed that uh, Miller Whitehead, the pastor and founder of the Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries, had taken $90,000 in life savings from parishioner Pauline Anderson two years ago in November of 2020 to help her buy a house. Now, the deal fell through, but Pauline Anderson never got her $90,000 back. Um, The lawsuit said that Anderson um, gave the money to Miller Whitehead because he was supposedly a man of the cloth and had previously helped other people secure housing for themselves. In addition to this incident, this pastor has quite a checkered past. Yeah, Miller Whitehead formed this church in 2013 uh, after he had been released from prison. He had been serving a five-year sentence for identity theft and grand larceny. On the church's website, he says that he was illegally convicted and that he learned to fashion his life as the Apostle Paul did during the times of his imprisonment and drew closer to God because of these afflictions. Uh, Miller Whitehead now is offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the three armed men who robbed him and his wife of the jewelry, again, uh, valued at about a million dollars. Now, since that incident, um, the pastor has defended his ostentatious lifestyle, which includes driving around Brooklyn in a uh, in a Rolls Royce, his critics have said that ostentatious lifestyle has made him more susceptible to being a crime victim. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson confirmed on uh, Friday, July 29th, that his office is investigating Seattle Pacific University, a private Christian school that we reported on a good bit here at Ministry Watch. It's associated with the Free Methodist Church for potential illegal discrimination against people who identify as LGBTQ in the school's hiring process. The announcement comes after the university on Wednesday sued for Ferguson, the attorney general, claiming that his probe aims to influence the school in its application and understanding of church teachings. The university is represented by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And let me just add a personal note here. Uh, this is a, you know, a pretty important case, Natasha, even if you don't know much or care much about Seattle Pacific University or the Free Methodist Church denomination. I mean, the fact that the attorney general of a state can go after this Christian school who does, in fact, make hiring decisions based on its biblical understanding um, of sexual morality um, is a pretty dangerous sign. Now, uh, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is an organization that uh, understands religious liberty issues, have taken cases all the way to the Supreme Court, so they've got a good defense. And um, many cases that have come down like this in the past have been have ruled in favor of the Christian organization. But the fact that this lawsuit is being filed at all by the attorney general of a state is uh, should cause every Christian ministry leader to sit up and take notice. In Minnesota, a child prostitution and human trafficking sting by authorities has netted a pastor. Yeah, a Wisconsin pastor was one of six people arrested last week in a solicitation of minors and sex trafficking sting operation carried out by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. The pastor's name is Jason James Taylor. He was the pastor at Calvary Chapel Solid Rock in New Richmond, Wisconsin. He was among five people booked on a probable cause felony solicitation of a minor under 18 years of age for prostitution. Now, the suspects had been chatting uh, on a social media platform with undercover agents and investigators who were posing as minors or sex buyers. Uh, the investigators arrested the suspects when they arrived at an arranged meeting place for what they thought was going to be an encounter with a minor. Four victims also were recovered from this tra sex trafficking uh, situation. So that's a, a, one of the positive outcomes here. The victims were are were turned over to an organization called Breaking Free to try to transition them back towards a normal life. Well, it's a new month, August, and as usual, we have a couple of new monthly lists. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this month, we post the 50 largest media ministries in the country. And I, I should note that these days, almost all ministries have some media component. I mean, after all, Natasha, you and I are here on a podcast, and uh, it's uh, just a normally a, a part of the way ministry is done these days. Pastors write books. Journalists have podcasts like we are. 
uh, like we have. Uh, however, the list that we publish is a list of ministries whose work is primarily media-driven, mostly media organizations such as television and radio networks, but also teaching and preaching ministries whose presence is primarily on radio and television. For those of you who are fluent in the Ministry Watch 1000 database, this list includes our educational media component and our radio TV station categories. And I recommend that you check the list out. This is the third year that we've published this list, and there's been quite a bit of movement in it, which is not exactly the norm for our list. Uh, usually they're pretty static from year to year. Um, though I will say that the largest ministry on the list, which is the Christian Broadcasting Network, is still number one last year and this year. It has about $400 million in annual revenue, $391 million to be precise. The parent company of the K-Love Radio Network, which is called the Educational Media Foundation, is also um, number two this year and last year. And one of the big surprises on this year's list, though, is that Joyce Meyer Ministries is now number three, moving ahead of focus on the family. And the other list is the top 10 stories of July. Yeah, and and a bit of a surprise to me, at least, the top story this month was our story on 100 Florida churches leaving the United Methodist Church. Now, it was a pretty busy news month, so I was a bit surprised to see that one come out on top. There must be a whole lot of you United Methodists out there. And of course, each week we feature ministries making a difference. So who did Christina Darnell feature this week? Well, during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Mercy Multiplied transitioned one of its residential homes to what they're calling the first Mercy Multiplied Center for Wellness and Counseling, where men and women uh, 13 years of age and older receive free outpatient counseling for six months. This is really important in an era of heightened concerns about mental health issues to get that mental health in a Christian environment. They offer programs, including residential and Pregnancy services. And by the way, I should also add that they've got five stars and an A transparency grade from Ministry Watch, a donor confidence score of 90, which is one of our top scores. Twelve members of district churches associated with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries traveled to a Venezuela landfill in May to provide care for about 200 people that were living literally on top of this landfill. The team served breakfast, delivered medicine, food, clothing, shelters, and also, of course, preached the gospel. Nazarene Compassionate Ministries also has five stars and an A transparency grade for Ministry Watch, a donor confidence score of 90. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a reminder that if you make a donation to Ministry Watch during the month of August, you'll receive a free one-year subscription to World Magazine. Now, we made this offer last year, and we got a tremendous response, so I'm really delighted that World is partnering with us again this year. I think many of our listeners know that I've had a long association with World Magazine. We consider them to be great friends. Uh, But I also know that I've got a lot of people listening this year uh, that weren't listening when we made that offer a year ago. I know that because our podcast nearly doubled in size in the last year, so I'm really grateful that we have picked up so many new listeners. And if you're one of them. If you're new, this is a fantastic opportunity to pick up a subscription to World. That's, by the way, a digital and print subscription worth more than $100 and support our work at the same time. Uh, To get that subscription, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. 
The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jesse T. Jackson, Alejandra Molina, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, Bob Smetania, Anne Stike, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to church leaders for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.